Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on Arise and Build. I want to look at Nehemiah today. Nehemiah. I told you guys during Vision Month, which was January, that we were going to extend Vision Month indefinitely because I feel that we have to. Matter of fact, last week I kind of shared with you on a Wednesday night here praying. Is there any way we can go back to last week's notes, planning center? Probably way too hard, isn't it? Get a graphic that I sent. I didn't use it last week. It's so wasted. You got it loaded? Throw it up there. So last week, just to recap a little bit, we went through Vision Month in January. Last week we talked about a word that I received on Wednesday night prayer, um, and I broke down to you how I receive a word, not always, but I uh, had a thought in my mind about this 20 out of 20, and I saw a picture of a slam dunk competition where they're holding up 10s, okay? But this time they were holding up 20s. And the Lord was speaking to me, you see this, that as long as we believe that the ultimate goal is a 10, then we will not have expectation for a 20. But I believe he's spoken to me that in 2020, we, if we will have expectation for 20, we'll get 20 out of 20. If we're a church that just wants 10, we can get a 10 and we can pat ourselves on the back and say, man, 2020 was a great year. We got a 10 in 2020, but there was available to us a 20. And so when we judge ourselves against him instead of against each other and what somebody else is doing and we're the tallest pygmy, things change a little bit. And we looked at the life of Paul and all of those things. But so in thinking about that, I was thinking this week, you know, I said that Vision Month was going to extend. But if we're raising our expectation from 10 to 20, that's double. So I think Vision Month's probably going to be double. We might have Vision Months two months, okay? And so we talked about that last week. And I want to talk about Nehemiah because it's so intricate to our journey. And you may not know the history of it. And I'm going to try my best to recap. I was asking Jahan for dates today, uh, this morning. And she's trying to remember too. And she always used to know them. And now she's getting old too. So she's... (laughs) You know, I'm married young, and now she's getting old, so I don't know. We have to ask our kids stuff now. (laughs) And they weren't alive for a lot of our journey, so it's hard. So, but I was asking her some dates, and so I just want us to look through the story of Nehemiah. We're going to start at the beginning, which is chapter 1 of Nehemiah. We're going to read a lot of this story, skip it around today pulling out different parts of it. I just want us to walk through this journey. And I think that we need to see where we are on the timeline of this journey. I, uh, I know that there's a Nehemiah anointing on my life. Me, specifically. Which, in turn, if God called me here, would mean there's a Nehemiah anointing on this house. Okay. Amen? Amen? Every prophetic word I've received in the last three years normally starts out with, I see that you're a builder. 
I see that you're a builder. I see that you're a builder. And like we talked about this morning, sometimes anxiety causes you to forsake who you really are. And so I look back even on the first year and a half here. Anybody remember the first six weeks here? You know, um, walls were torn down. I mean, drastic, massive things took place in six weeks. But guess what? It looks a lot today like it did at the six-week point. Somehow, in the process, I'm not beating myself up. I went through the massive emotional stuff of taking my father's church and all of the stuff of changing things that meant a lot to me as it did to a lot of people that have been here over the years. Somehow, in that process... I began to get in maintenance mode and slow down. So I had visions to progress this year, but they were on a 10 scale. Now I've been told that I can dream on a 20 scale. So the visions I had to shake the dust off and move forward this year are not going to work. They have to be doubled. So we're going double time. So I'm saying buckle up, buttercup. We're moving forward. We're going to take giant leaps of faith this year and move forward. And so I want to look at the life of Nehemiah, and I want to parallel that today and hopefully encourage us and empower us and embolden us to carry that anointing and move forward ourselves. So Nehemiah chapter 1. Now it happened in the month Chislev. Now... In the book of Nehemiah, there are so many names, so many different people. And y'all aren't going to believe this, but even I have standards about how many names I'll butcher in one sermon. <laughs> so I cut out a whole chapter that we're going to go through today. <laughs> so when we get to that chapter, I'm going to say that's the chapter with a bunch of names. Okay, and we're going to just paraphrase that chapter. I don't know. Do you remember I used to say I just made up names for them? If it was a G name, I'd say G Dog. I mean, I just call them what you know, whatever. Not a youth pastor anymore. I've been told I need to grow up. So, you know, maybe I, maybe I can't do that anymore. I don't know. So, we'll try to we'll try to just butcher their names the way they're said. Okay. So it happened. I'm not going to say it again though. In that month that I already tried to say, all right, I did my due diligence. In the 20th year, just does that jump out to anybody? As I'm looking back at the study of Nehemiah this week, and God's taking me to that, in the 20th year, in the 20th year, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers and some men from Judah came. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. Verse 3, they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Jahan and I, Jahan was raised in Pal, spent time in Pal. I don't know what years she lived in Pal. 
six to 12 years old. She went to Powell Elementary School. When we took our kids for the first time into Powell Elementary School, all of the office staff and people remembered Jahan. You know, because I'm sure she talked a lot in elementary school. Oh, I love this mic. I don't care about this mic. Can't you tell how much I don't care? <clears throat> Lord, just send us a good mic this week after we pay for it and have it shipped. Amen. <laughs> so we're, we're, in, um, we're in Kodak, Tennessee at New Hope Church. One of the greatest seasons of life for us. One of the hardest seasons and the greatest seasons. And you guys, just that might be all you need to hear today. Because the hardest season that you keep avoiding, if you would just go through it, it would be the best season of your life. And we always want to run from the hard seasons. And so it, it's, uh, it's easy to do. And I'm so thankful to God. It wasn't my perseverance. It was God's mercy that just held me there and held me to the fire. But as we're there, we begin to feel stirred to come back to Powell. Of course, I was raised here. I was dedicated in a double-wide trailer on this property when they had church there. I've talked with some of the neighbors. They did not have power in that trailer. And some of the neighbors around us are still bitter about that. Um, and they told us stories about kids coming out and just peeing in the front yard, and they just hated it. And uh, I was like, well, be glad you're not my neighbor then. <laughs> we got three toilets in my house, and they still just go outside. So, and they said the music was loud. One of the neighbors told us we were over there talking to her. She said they used to play the music so loud, I went and got me a great big jukebox, like a jukebox and a honky-tonk, you know? She went and got a great big jukebox, put it on her front porch. And every Sunday during church, she would play that jukebox as loud as she could to blow out the church. I said, bless you, ma'am. We're going to put some parking right up to your fence. No. <laughs> I did not say that. We love her. She's actually been really good to us. I think God softened her heart. And uh, been good to the guys, giving us work and all those things. It's been a beautiful thing. But I was dedicated on this property. Jahan was raised in Powell. And we, we had known, I could go back even further in the story. We were in a general assembly, a Church of God general assembly. We were just married two weeks before we got married. I must have been miserable then <laughs> before I married you. All those days must have been miserable days before I got to marry you. And so we were at General Assembly, and we had never thought about church planting. We were just going to do what, you know, probably be a youth pastor the rest of my life. You know, that I had great vision at that moment, you know. I was young and just, you know, what's happening in the future. And so they, they did this call for church planters, and all of a sudden, independently, we both looked at each other, and I said, I feel like we're supposed to plant a church. She looks at me, I feel like we're supposed to plant a church. And so we go down and respond to this call to plant a church and came home and went back to what we were doing. You know, we began to youth pastor and did that for many years. And, but we started feeling that stir in Kodak, Tennessee to come back to 
Knoxville, specifically Powell, and plant a church. But I really felt like it would be a replant of this church. And so I started talking to my... No, I'm not, we hadn't even started talking to my dad at that point. Um, our housing situation, when we moved from Chattanooga, we couldn't sell our house. It took us about a year, and then when we sold it, we had a prepayment penalty. I had to take out a loan to sell my house, you know, to pay it off. And so we paid on that for like three years. And so we loaded up a U-Haul, moving from Kodak, Tennessee, because... Jason Wilder, many of y'all know him here. He used to be here for years. He moved to Morristown, Tennessee, and he had a house in Knoxville, and he said, I need some work done on this house, and I'm going to try to sell it. If you'll do some of the renovations, you and your family can live there until we sell it. And I was like, well, the trailer that somebody was letting us live in, somebody let us live for free for three years at different places. Every time they'd say, you can live one year, at the end of that year, we wouldn't know we were going, where we were going, and literally days before something else would open up and someone would say, hey, I've got this place you can stay. Whether it's somebody's basement, somebody's trailer on their property, a house that they're trying to sell, God provided. And we're in a truck and we're moving to Knoxville to live in this house and we're in a U-Haul and Rick Bradbury calls us, Padre Rick. By the way, the 20th is this week. The 20th, okay? 2020, on the 20th of every month, we're going to have a gathering. We're going to do it here. It's this Thursday, 6.30, all right? This Thursday, 6.30, the 20th. If you want to be here, coffee shop has something going on, so we're going to do it here. Plus, it was crowded in the coffee shop last 20th. So be here if you want to be here. It's going to be a good time. Rick Bradbury calls us up, and he says, oh, I'm going to butcher this. He says, I see you. I just see you guys in a moving truck. I just have a vision of you guys in a moving truck, so I want to call and tell you and be faithful to this vision. I see you guys in a moving truck, and God says you're moving in the right direction. And we're like, okay. Now, we're still at New Hope. We're driving back and forth and all those things, but we, it was just confirmation we're moving in the right direction. Started talking to my dad, and many of you guys that were here know that, and so we came here, and we were going to work as youth pastor in worship, and after a year or so, my dad was going to retire, and we came to the end of that year, and I'll be the first to tell you, I butchered that year because I was so young and zealous and idealistic and impatient and pushed many things that should not have been pushed, right? And my dad was older and wise and probably resisted many things that didn't need to be resisted. So it was oil and water, right? And so at the end of that year, Dad said, yeah, I don't think you can pastor this church. <laughs> a year or two forward. And, um, and I said, well, we, this is in our heart to do. So we said, we're gonna, we got to plant a church. And it was a tough transition, tough on our family, tough on my relationship with my father. But God did an amazing restorative work, and I'm so thankful for that. And... Um, it's a beautiful thing. Ended up uh, just just completely healing that situation, and and I'm so thankful to God for that. But through that journey, we planted a church, and um, Redemption Life Church, and we continued to go and we grew. And then a few years later, um, it wasn't a Church of God church because 
we were too close to this Church of God church. And so the Church of God was like, you can't do that, you know. And it looks bad, right? It looks like I'm trying to hurt my dad, and I understand that. And everybody, you know, I'm just going to put a church and then take all these people and follow me. You know, that happens a lot. Youth pastors leave, and people leave, and they take a bunch of people. I'm proud to say we never took one person from this body in the church we planted. Matter of fact, I had people, and I said, they said, man, we're going to leave your dad's church. And I said, well... You can go anywhere you want to, but you can't come here because that's not what we're doing. And um, so anyways, we didn't. And so we did that. And so, so we're through this process and healings come and it's a beautiful thing. And in, this was in 2009 that we were driving the U-Haul. In 2000, I'm, I, I can't get too carried away with the stories. Jahan, help me. 2014, uh, a state overseer came to Tennessee. Okay, we're pastoring this non-denominational church plant. My dad's here, and this new overseer came. We still license Church of God. I connected to the Church of God, support the things they do. So I go to his welcoming service at Park West Church, and he speaks, and he shares about Nehemiah. And he talks about the good hand of the Lord being on us in the state of Tennessee, and he preaches about Nehemiah. And I looked over at Jahan, while he was speaking, and I said, he's the king in our story. He's going to be the guy that hands us the resources and the letters. Okay, that's what the king does in the story, Nehemiah. I'm getting ahead of myself. But he's going to be the guy that hands us the resources and the letters to um, take the land that we believe we're supposed to take. I'm getting ahead of myself. So number one... While we're in Kodak, Tennessee, just like Nehemiah, my computer just went off. Someone has to get a vision. Someone has to see a thing that needs to be reversed and changed and reestablished. And he has to see destruction and desolation. Someone has to have a vision. Someone has to be broken about that. Someone has to see the community they, raised, they were raised in, Pal, and say, man, we're not having the impact on the community of Pal that I think that we should have. And we need to come back to Pal, and we need to increase the influence of the kingdom and expand it to Knoxville and expand it to the state and expand it to the nation and the nations of the world. But we need to go back to that place and build a work. And somebody has to receive that call. And so we did that. And we came. And in Nehemiah 2, we see where Nehemiah goes to the king. And he asks and he asks him for letters and he gives him letters. And I said, He's gonna give us letters. I'm hurrying to get through this story so I can get back to my sermon. But so Jahan says, Well, call him. Call him on the phone and and tell him he's the king and he's gonna give you stuff. I said, No, I'm not. Uh, John's forward. She asked me to marry her the first day I met her. <laughs> she said, call him. I said, no, I'm not going to call him. If Nehemiah did not ask the king for anything. The king came to Nehemiah and said, I see that you're downtrodden. You're sad. What's wrong? What can I do? And so the king came to Nehemiah. The king approached Nehemiah and said, if he's the king, he'll connect with us. And she's like, he doesn't even know who we are. He doesn't have any way to contact us. He doesn't know our name. We're not on any radar. About two weeks later, 
he finds Jahan on Twitter. Thank God for Twitter. Look at Twitter. <laughs> what a random media to find her on. Finds Jahan on Twitter, sends her a direct, can you even do direct messages? I don't know. Direct tweeted her on Twitter and said, I would like to meet with you and your husband. Okay, this guy just came into the state. We're nobodies. He calls us to Cleveland. We go down and meet with him. We just, he says, I just want to hear your story. We just share our heart. And, and I said, and I believe the Lord spoke to me that you're the king in our story and that you're going to release resources to us to take the land that is our inheritance. And he said, I believe the Lord has confirmed that to me. And before I leave this state, I will be the one that hands you those resources and that inheritance. Four years later, okay, Four years later, the last official act that that overseer did as Bishop of Tennessee, the very last Sunday that he was here in Tennessee, the very last official thing he did was appointed me as pastor of this church. It was a long journey, a long process, um, a beautiful process, a healing process, but a God-ordained process. I tell you all that, I know that's a little lengthy story, but just to show you the connectedness that we have to this story of Nehemiah. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's just unthought of. One of the first things he did when he's in office is calls us and asks us for a meeting, people he didn't know. One of the last things he does is puts us and appoints us. And literally, you know, my father died. I mean, how in the world does that, the timing of that take place? Dad, Dad and I talked off and on throughout those years. Hey, maybe you should come. Hey, maybe we should do some type of transition. Every time we would get those brilliant ideas and we'd start talking about it, I'd say, no, no, we don't need to do this. I like where we're at. I like the healing that we've come to, right? And if we try to do this together, it's not going to work. I've said at Dad's funeral and I've said since then, God had a plan and his plan was a man. Jerry Cox took me and my family from a place that we've never experienced, and he let us start at a totally different point in life, which changed my whole perspective of the kingdom and changed, gave me a different view of the Father than he had. And so to try to parallel those things together would not work. And I wish it would happen any other way. I know many times after his death and what I've uh, worked through this year is I remember when he first died, I told you, hon, I was like, I don't want it. I don't want the church. I don't want anything. I know God's hand is on this, but if it means dad had to die, I don't want it. And I'm mad at God for working his plan, right? But God doesn't always care about our temporary emotions because he knows that we're going to be glad when he fulfills his promise. Amen. And so here we are. So Nehemiah goes to the king. So there has to be someone who believes there's a call. Someone has to respond. And there has to be kings with resources in their hand to make provision. So yes, Mitch Corder was a king. But you know what the New Testament said? It says, I'm building up a nation of kings and priests. And so I don't have to go to an overseer, and I don't have to go to some faraway place, and I don't have to go to some government. I'm looking at the kings right here. We're the builders, and we're the kings. We, we're, we're able to have the resources and be the people that receive the resources. I mean, it's all just culminated in one. 
It's the fullness of the Trinity and the gospel. I mean, there's just so much. We're the king and we're the recipient. And so you guys are the kings. You guys are now the ones that write letters of resources. You are the ones that, which I think are checks. You write checks of resources, right? You, 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 you give vouchers for lumber like he did. You give safe passage through places that are under your influence. Okay, and we move forward. So there has to be kings, and we have to have favor with kings. See, some of you would have more that you could write a check about if you would act more like Nehemiah before the kings in your life. It was so shocking to the king that Nehemiah had a frown on his face that he asked him what was wrong because he had never seen him like that. You might be receiving a bigger check so you could write bigger checks if your employers didn't see your face like that all the time. Whoa, that was quiet. <laughs> you know, how much do we take what God has provided for us, the employment that he's given us, and how much do we apply ourselves to that with joy and gladness, with a thankful heart, serving as unto the Lord? And then we're like, man, I wish I'd get a raise. Man, I wish you'd act better when you were at, job, at your workplace, right? <laughs> Nehemiah found favor with the king. Some of us are not going to find favor with the king until we get our heart right to the kings, right? In our life. That's just a little side point, guys. It's not the whole point. Don't get all, you know, it's not the whole sermon. It's okay. Just a little added point there. Just keep acting the way you are at work. It's fine. It's no big deal. Just, 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 say, I, just say he meddled a little bit. That's really not a good point he made right there. It's fine. In Nehemiah chapter 3, this is the chapter we have to skip because there's so many names in it. But I'll read the first couple of verses just so you get the point. Then Elias, Elias, that's Elias' name before Hib, Elias Hib, Elias Hib. The high priest arose with his brothers, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the tower of the hundred and the tower of the Hanel. Next to him, the men of Jericho built... Um, and next to them, Zachary, the son of Amri, built. Now the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Next to them, next to them. You get the point? The entire chapter of Nehemiah 3 says, Next to them, these people did this. Next to them, these people did this. Next to them, these people did that. We have to believe there's a call. Someone has to respond. There have to be kings that release resources. And everyone has to do their part. Everyone has to do their part. When we look at what people built what, it was connected to who they were. It was connected to who they were. Everyone had a passion about a certain part of the wall. Some of you aren't going to have the same passion that the people sitting next to you. But you got to do whatever's in your heart to do. Everyone has to do their part. Next to him, next to him, next to them, next to them. If there's any part that's missing, there's low places in the wall. So everyone has to do their part. Everyone has to operate in their gifts. If you remember in the first vision month... We talked about living truth. We talked about operating in our gifts. And I said, my job actually is not to come here and y'all watch me work. My job actually, according to scripture, is to put you to work. I'm supposed to equip you 
That means put a shovel in your hand. That's my job here. Have a shovel. Here, have a hammer. Here, equip you and empower you to work. That's my job. So everyone must operate in their gifting. The wall is not going to be, get, be built just because Nehemiah is anointed. The wall is not going to be built just because Nehemiah is upset about its condition. Just because he cried and he fasted and he prayed. When we get done crying and fasting and praying, we better get up with a vision that is a solution to the problem. When you're fasting and you're praying and you're crying, you need to be looking at your hands and asking God what he wants these hands to do to be the solution to the problem that you're fasting about. So we have to operate in our gifting. We have to do the work. In Nehemiah chapter 4, they were ridiculed. We're not going to do anything without ridicule. I noticed about a year ago, uh, we were on a p social media post of churches you should avoid. <laughs> I was somewhat honored because the name right over our church up here in Powell, Tennessee was Bethel Church <laughs> in Redding, California and Redemption Life Church. Avoid those two. <laughs> I'm like, come on, baby. <laughs> so it's going to come with ridicule. Yeah. Let's just look at this. Now, it came about in chapter 4 that when Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, even what they're building, even if they get it done, if a fox should jump on it, it would break their stone wall down. <clears throat> Mocking. <coughs> Nehemiah says, Hero God, how we are despised, return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. It's Old Testament people, okay? <laughs> Do not forgive their iniquity and let, us, and let not their sin be blotted out before you for they have demoralized the builders. Verse 6, so we built the wall and the whole wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. We build the wall, Why? For the people had a mind to work. Yeah. John shared her vision a few weeks ago. Uh, I asked her to come up about uh, the vision of us at airport, at the airport on Emory Road, and everyone had on coveralls, and there was dust in the air. There was another part of that vision that came before, and and we they, they kind of put together, but we came into a place in a room. Help me if I butcher it, and. There was this whole group of people, and all of their heads were on backwards. And this is when we were praying about coming to Pal. And Johanna had this encouraging dream that we were going to come and lead people with their heads on backwards. 
Huh? Made of mud. And we came in and Jahan's like, what are we going to do? Huh? And I said, I don't know what, what's wrong with them. What are we going to do? I was like, I don't know what's wrong with them. But we got to get them healed if we're going to do anything. And so we just went around and started turning people's heads around <laughs> by the power of God. And people became healed. And then the next vision is we got an army of workers with overalls on and dust. It's time to get healed so we can do work. Time to get our head on straight so we can accomplish something for the kingdom. And so we want to get people healed and we want to go forward. For the people had a mind to work. Now when Sambalit, Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed. They were very angry. All of them conspired together. Isn't it amazing how much people are united together? I mean, all your enemies that hate each other, they all of a sudden like each other, right? And hate you. The enemy has a good time. The enemy has a wonderful plan of exploiting people's weaknesses to put himself together an army to try to destroy the believers. And so it's just a bunch of people that he exploits their weakness and causes them to come together. Where was I? Help me. All of them, uh, verse 8, all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. Verse 9, but we prayed to our God and because of them we set up a guard against them day and night. All right? We set up a guard against them day and night. Verse 11, our enemy said they will not know or see when we come among them, kill them and put a stop to the work. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up to you from every side where you may turn. Isn't that great when helpful people come up and tell you things like that ten times? You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. You're not going to succeed. You can't do that. You don't have the brains to do that. You don't have the strength to do that. You're never going to do that. You're never going to accomplish it. Thank you. You're so helpful. <laughs> Verse 13, Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Goes on to talk about the work was extensive. They were spread out. And so they would literally wear a sword and carry a hammer at the same time. Now, they're talking about fighting armies of flesh with a sword. We know we fight our battles in a different way. If we're going to do work, we got to do worship. If we can't do worship, we can't do work. A lot of people want to do a lot of work, but if you're not worshiping while you're working, you're going to end up falling. And the work's not going to happen, and you're going to be destroyed. 
People say, man, y'all worship a lot. We're going to keep worshiping a lot. We're going to worship ourselves happy. We're going to worship ourselves powerful. So they even, look at verse 23. Neither my brothers, my servants, nor the men of God who follow me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon even to the water. Even to the toilet. Even to the shower. We got to be a people of worship. I mean, we can only do as much work as we worship. If we get all focused on work and we don't do worship, then we're not going to accomplish anything. We're all going to get discouraged. We're all going to quit. We're all going to lose focus. We're all going to get caught up in what we've done. We're all going to get uh, the ambition disease, and we're all going to forget who we're working for, right? And we're all going to get misfocused, and we're all going to get all out of whack, and it's going to destroy us. So we have to worship as much as we work. And we got to fight for our families. He put people in the low places of the wall, and he put them by families. Man, that's my vision, that we would fight as families. You know, they say a, her, a healthy church is made up of healthy families. But I would say healthy families make healthy churches, and healthy churches make healthy families. So to fight for your family is to fight for your church. To build walls around your family is to build walls around your church. We have to see that. If we're so cynical and we can't trust and we believe that there's this guy up here in the front who's trying to build his own kingdom, then you'll never see the value of what this church and this body can be to your family. But I'm going to tell you, your kids are going to walk through things you didn't walk through. No matter how much you try to focus on the family. No matter how much you try to safeguard. No matter how much you try to keep them away from things. They're going to face things you didn't face. And one of the most powerful tools in the lives of your children are going to be that you're connected to a faith family. And there's some people that walk through the things that your kids are walking through and they're going to be able to connect with them and they're going to be able to glean from them and they're going to be able to bring the battle that they won to your child and help your child win that battle. So much more I can say about that. We worship our families and we forsake the church. Now listen, I don't think your church should be a martyr your church should be a widow and orphans to the, to, your family shouldn't be widows and orphans to the church. I remember early in our ministry, one of our pastor's wife was trying to help Jahan and encourage Jahan. I don't understand, but she told Jahan, you need to go ahead and prepare for this and expect this. You will be a widow to the ministry and your children will be orphans to the ministry. And that's just the way it works. Right? I think something was wrong there. <laughs> and we dearly loved that pastor and his wife, but they're no longer in ministry. Because that model doesn't work. You know what other model doesn't work? Worshiping your family and forsaking the church. 
it doesn't work. Because a healthy church makes a healthy family, and a healthy family makes a healthy church. It is so intertwined, and it is so connected. There's no escaping it. It's a beautiful thing. Forsake not coming together. We have to see the value of the church. The church, listen, man, I'm not talking about we're going to start giving perfect attendance ribbons out. I can't judge the value that the church has in your heart by how many times you sit here. Because you could sit here every Sunday and still not really realize the value that this body can offer to your family. And there's people that may have circumstances and situations in their life and they may only be able to be in town once a month and they may get it. They may get it. So I can't determine your heart and judge your heart based on church attendance. So I'm not advocating for perfect attendance. I'm just saying only you know if it has a proper place of value. And if it is just a total afterthought and a total, I have no idea what I'm doing on Sunday. You know, I was a youth pastor for years, and young people would never commit to anything. Anything. I don't care how exciting we made it. I don't care how amazing it was. They will not commit, will they, till the day of, because they, something may happen more exciting. Yeah. And so they got to leave their options open, right? Yeah. And so sometimes we do that with being connected to a faith family. If I've got nothing else going on, it'll be a nice little shot in the arm that I'll probably enjoy. But it's not just for you to come and receive. It's for you to come and give, right? And so what about the people that need the shot in the arm that you were supposed to give them by being connected to this faith family? It is a mission. It's not a body that you visit sometimes. We are all a part of this team, and we're working together. And there's low places in the wall when your family is not connected. And so it makes the wall weaker, which makes the church weaker, which makes your family weaker. So if you want your family strong, maybe find another late day. I mean, can we possibly find a late day that doesn't... I mean, it's like two hours a week. I mean, we don't have Sunday night service. We don't have any things like that. I mean, again, this is not about church. It's just about priorities. I'm baffled by the priorities like... That's the only two hours in a seven day, 24, seven days a week, 24 hours. That's the only two hours that I can do something so I can't come to church. Now, if you just drag yourself here because he made me feel guilty and said we can't do stuff, that's not going to help anything. I'm just saying, can you get the vision? Can you, can you start to grasp the strength you gain? from this faith family. And if we would all begin to get that, we would come with such an anticipation to receive and such a knowing and responsibility to give that we would have this amazing transference that takes place every time we meet. Nehemiah chapter 5. We can't skip this even though it's a really weird chapter and I know what time it is and I know I've got 15 minutes. 
Nehemiah chapter 5, here's the big thing that happened in Nehemiah chapter 5. The usury was abolished. Who knows what a usury is? I may be saying it wrong. Maybe a usury. Who knows what a usury is? I know we don't usually ask questions on Sunday morning, but if you know, just raise your hand. Anybody know what a usury is? All right, a couple people know. Awesome. I'll tell the rest of you. The illegal action or practice of lending money at an unreasonably high rate of, of interest. So while they're all trying to do their part, and we're all trying to get in low places of the wall, Nehemiah comes to find out. Some people came to him and are like, we're starving, we can't afford food. And so he starts researching a little bit, and he finds out these people who are working together to build the wall and supposed to be doing all this stuff together are literally like, Lending each other money and lands and then exacting an unreasonable interest from it. There's debts that people can't pay in the body. And look what Nehemiah does. He doesn't go to the people who borrowed the money and say, look, this is an unhealthy thing in our body. You guys need to give them their money back. You need to pay them their money. You agreed to that interest, you need to pay it. He goes to the people who, are, who loan the money uh, and says, you got to forgive the debt. Look, we want the church to make all the people that have hurt us in the church, we want, us to, we want the church to fix them so that they never hurt us again. <laughs> we want the church to discipline them to hurt them, to fix them, and make them pay me back what they owe me. But actually, the only response to him I did was said, just forgive the debt. Sometimes we can't move forward because we literally have an usury in the church. It's amazing to me as pastor. I'm like, oh, man, we're building. Look, everybody's swinging their swords, and Johnny's got his hammer. Look, man, we're going forward. And then I find out somebody in there has got a usury going on. Man, pastor, I just want you to know what Susie did to me. I think you probably need to do something about it. I do. As your pastor, I need to tell you, to forgive her and cancel that debt and release it so we can move forward. Because Susie's broken. And the enemy's exploited Susie's, Susie's brokenness to hurt you. And so we need to forgive Susie and we need to move forward. And we need to pray for Susie without telling 12 of your friends what Susie did and then asking them to pray like you really care about Susie, right? No, just really pray about Susie and keep it to yourself. But they had to forgive the usury. They had to let the debts go. If we're going to operate in the Nehemiah anointing, we got to be willing to let stuff go. If we're going to accomplish things together, we've got to be operating and functioning in this seamless thing. We can't be nitpicking everything. We can't come in here with expectations that everybody owes us, and when they slide us, we get mad. 
If you would come to church thinking you owe everybody here because you're bringing your gift and you're supposed to be focusing on your part of the wall, then you wouldn't always be saying, hey, why didn't they help me with my wall? They were building their wall. Build yours and don't worry about it. They happen to be in a low place right now because they're broken. You don't know it, but we've got some people behind their wall trying to help guard them. You worry about your wall. If your wall's perfect, then hide out under it and let us worry about the broken walls. Some people feel like they're anointed to let everybody know who's got problems. Well, golly gee, I know. <laughs> I'm like the, that insurance commercial. I know a few things because I've seen a few things. I don't need you to tell me everything. I feel like I need to tell y'all some things. Nehemiah chapter 6, the enemy makes a plot. I'm just going to fly through that one. So they get the wall done, and then they try to get Nehemiah to come out of the wall. Has that ever happened to anybody here? If you haven't picked up this yet, we're on the sixth point, and we're paralleling the walls to the church. Okay? And... And you get in a good church setting, right? And you get this faith family, and you get in this place where you're being protected and you're growing and you're being edified, right? And you're beginning to learn to trust and love other people and all this stuff. And then, golly gee, I don't know where it came from, but there's this thing that's invited me to come out and leave where I'm at. Hey, won't you come on out here? We'll give you a raise. All you got to do is work on Sunday. Hey, we'll give you a raise. We'll do this. Hey, we'll be your friend, but we really like to do this thing. If you want to be our friend, it's amazing how we make fun of the after-school specials, but I see 50-year-old men and women that act just like them kids on those after-school specials. <laughs> I want to be in the in crowd. I want to be with the cool people. I want to do this. I want to do that, and we'll just compromise Everything that's valuable in our life for some moment, moment, momentary fix of affirmation from a culture that don't know a thing about truly affirming anything. I love the passion translation. I don't know if it's the passion or the message, one of them, and I don't remember the text. I mean the address. The Bible didn't have addresses. It was a letter. So there was a place in the letter from God that said... There's, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world that doesn't know the first thing about truly living in freedom. And they get these great ideas for us, and we're like, oh, that sounds wonderful. Let me just come out there and meet with y'all in your turf, in your area, and see if I'll be safe. You know where they ask him to come out and meet? I love this. Oh, no. O-N-O. People come to me all the time and say, you're not going to believe this, Pastor. I got this opportunity. And I just say, oh, no. You're going to oh, no. They've invited you to oh, no, and you're going for it, right? Oh, no. You would leave the safety. You would leave this place and go to oh, no. But Nehemiah says, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come to you? And they kept running their mouths and saying all this stuff. And he says, such things that you're saying have not been done, but you're inventing them in your own mind. Worry about what everybody says about us. 
If it's not true, I, when I drove a school bus, kids would say, man, they said my mama was fat. I'd say, is your mom fat? They'd say no, and I'd say, well, he's crazy then. He don't even know what he's talking about. Why do we bite on every little thing, every little accusation, every little slander, everything that happens? We get all worked up about it. Why don't we just look at some things and say, what you're saying has not really been done, and you're wrong. You're inventing this in your own head. When the adversary slanders you and tells you how bad you are and all this stuff, you're like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Are you making this stuff up in your own mind? Did you see that in a movie somewhere? This is a beautiful thing. Nehemiah chapter 6. The wall is finished. When was it? What year was it? What year was it? Year 20. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the 12th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounded us saw it, they lost their confidence, for they recognized that this work had been accomplished by the help of our God. Yeah. All our adversaries lost their confidence because they realized this work was accomplished by God. Nehemiah started out by telling them, the hand of God is on us, so let us move forward. I believe God is going to do such a work that it's going to be undeniable. And all, our, all the demons of hell in this entire region are going to be aware that God is moving and God is working in our midst. I want to end today by talking about a couple of action steps. Practical, practicalities. We're moving forward. Next week, I'm going to introduce some folks to you. We've established elders to help carry the weight of the body. One day, I was when we were out setting up for the outdoor service, and the ground was wet, and we were putting up the stage, and the legs were sinking in the ground. And so we cut boards and put under the legs, and the Lord said, if you don't spread out the weight, you're going to be driven in the ground. And so after praying and asking God what to do and such confirmation and God just giving direction and revealing not only what but who, we've established a board of elders, and I'm going to introduce them to you next week. That was going to be a long process, but I want 20 out of 20, so we had to accelerate the process. So it's done. We've been dilly-dallying around, waiting on God to provide absorbent, ex exorbitant, what, how do you say that word? Extra resources so that we didn't have to have faith to hire a children's pastor while we desperately need. They say that pastors will attract people who are like them. How many people know we probably need a children's pastor then? <laughs> Seriously, we've been waiting. Tracy's in children's today. I want to do a little something different with her today, and so I'm going to do that next week as well. Tracy Timbo came to us from Florida, came to us while we were in a... Um, 
street front little store with 44 chairs. And she has been faithful and gold to care for our children. Could not have dreamed or imagined for someone with a greater heart and a greater willingness and a bigger yes than she's walked in over the last however many years. She came at the end of last year and said, I believe God is just transitioning. I don't think that I can continue to go where we need to go in children's ministry. And she said, I, so she resigned. And so we've been just, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? We have amazing volunteers that come in every week and try to get things done, but there's no consistent leadership there to help leave and lead and drive that ministry forward. And it is a great need in our body. And so we kept waiting for extra resources, but I need 20 out of 20 this year. So I can't sit around and wait for extra resources. We got to take a bold step of faith. And so there's a beautiful couple that were doing ministry in Florida. It's amazing. We recruit heavily out of Florida. <laughs> And the young lady was in Johan and I's youth group when we were at New Hope in Kodak, Tennessee, and married an awesome man, mighty man of God. He's been uh, in full-time ministry for the last I don't know how many years himself. And so this is a massive leap of faith for them because we come here, and Michael's like, I don't know what I'm going to do right now. And I'm like, it's going to be a beautiful season. We don't know what God's going to do, right? And so I'm so excited about this. But Michael and Chady, will you come? Your kids are asleep or whatever, you know. I don't know. They got kids. They got four daughters and a spiritual daughter, just Lane, that just wanted to make the journey with them, and she's all in with them, and so we're so excited to have her. We'll let the kids stay asleep and down. We'll introduce those to you another time. Are you coming up here with me? No? I could swear I communicated that earlier. All right. Come on up here. It's a big step. So this is Chady. And Michael McDuffie. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.